everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of the Ambitious Freelancer Podcast. Today I'm joined by Michelle of Worth the Designs, and I'm so excited to have her on the show to talk about key design tips to immediately improve your website. So we did have a show a few months back about websites and creating a website to promote your freelance business, but it was a very specific, like, let's just get it up there kind of website. It was just like, let's get this up so we can attract leads. And it really didn't talk about any design elements or anything like white space or call to actions or anything like that it was just like get a website up so you can get some money coming into your business so i was super excited to chat with michelle specifically about things like white space and responsiveness and things that you really do need to know to create a website that's going to be beautiful and it's going to work well at attracting those leads and these are the kind of refinements you can make over time as you build your freelance business so without further ado let's get into the episode and chat with michelle Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So to start this podcast, I like to start with an introduction to you. So can you let my audience know who you are and what kind of freelancing you do? Yeah, my name's Michelle Balche. I'm a freelance web designer. And beyond that, I'm also an author, a mental health advocate, and animal lover. Uh, for freelance designing, I design strategic websites and sales pages for purpose-driven ethical businesses, and I really like to focus on the strategy, so the site goals, ideal client, the feel that the client wants for the website, um, all of these like questions that I ask them, it all goes into the design. Awesome. So I'm super excited to have you. I have talked about website design on the podcast before, but it was like a very basic get your website up and like don't think about it type of vibe because I think that's where you really should start. But now we're going to really focus on like the actual nitty gritty and like making your website even better with today's podcast. So thank you so much for lending your awesome talents. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. So um, to kind of start this, because we're going to talk about like six different topics and ideas that you should think about when you're like building out your website. But to start, um, I would love to know, like, why do you think design is such an important aspect of a freelance website or any website? Yeah, I think it's so important because the design of your site is what gets people to stay on your site and actually look through it. Um, and it so it gets people to take action, such as booking a call, filling out a form, or buying a product. Um, and there's a actually one of, uh, an interesting fact is 94% of people say bad design is the main reason they don't trust certain websites. So having good design creates trust, uh, it also shows professionalism, and gives an overall more favorable impression. Yeah, I really definitely agree with those points. I know I've gone to a website before, and I've wanted to like connect with the person, but then I see their website and it's like not up to par. It looks like it was built in like the nineties. And I'm like, mm, that might not be the kind of um, person I want. And it, it it also even impacts like how I deal with like freelance clients. Cause I'm a very specific person. I work in like a lot of HR tech stuff. So even like evaluating people I want to pitch, it's like, okay, your website has to be up to par, has to feel at least somewhat modern. And I feel like that's something that impacts everything we do. Yeah, if it's not good, it just, it really makes you second guess. 
Yeah. So we're going to focus, like I said, on six topics today. But the first topic we're going to talk about is the user and their experience. Because I think it's so important to think about how other people will view your website, just how we were just talking about. So what is the number one thing that affects a client's user experience? So to know what affects a client's user experience, you have to know your ideal client. Uh, And once you know your ideal client, then you can step into their shoes and go through your site as if you were them. Uh, So you want to figure out like, what would you want to know? So if you're the ideal client on the website, what would you want to know? Where would you want to go? And what will entice you to take further action? Uh, So it's really whether there's a strategy and good design behind the site or not that will most affect a client's user experience. So it's really hard to pinpoint it down to one thing. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, So I guess the next thing is just like, I know that a lot of people, they'll put a website up, but like there is something that goes before that and after that. So like, how do you like test that experience? What are some tips or some strategies or some websites people can use to test experiences before and after a potential science, potential clients start coming to their website? Yeah, so before clients come to your site, you can be sure that you've gone through it as if you were your ideal client, like I said uh, before. Um, and then after they come to your site, you can ask users and new clients for feedback. Uh, you can also explore your Google Analytics and switch things around with your design if you're not seeing any results. Yeah. So what are the kinds of things they should be looking for in their analytics to kind of prove user experience or say what the user experience is? So there are certain key points they should be looking at? Yeah, so I don't focus exclusively on Google Analytics because I'm more of the designer. But for the analytics, you want to be sure you're looking at where your audience is coming from, what pages they're looking at, and your bounce rate. So if they're looking on your website and actually staying on your website for at least like several seconds like that's a good thing but if they leave right away or don't go through very many pages then you have a problem that you need to fix yeah so the next thing we're going to cover on this podcast is all about um call to action buttons because those are so important to getting people to actually click through, to hire you, to, you know, set up calls and such. So they need to be moved to act if they can't just, you know, come on and you hope they act. So how do you design a call to action button that grabs the attention of your potential clients? So you want your button to stand out through both its looks and what it actually says. Uh, And standing out doesn't mean making it a random color that doesn't fit with your color scheme. You want it to fit in with the rest of your design, but stand out by having like a border and or a background and ensuring the font color can easily be seen. So just for example, a black background with a white font, you can clearly be able to read it. And it's not all like a super light pink with a white does not work very well. Uh, You want to make sure that when you hover over the button, it does something that tells the user they've hovered over it um, and that will it, that it will lead them to somewhere new because uh, by changing the background color, like adding an icon, removing the background and just having a border or something like that shows the user that you're actually going to go somewhere. Uh, and for the written part of the button, uh, you want to put yourself in the shoes of your ideal client. So if you're visiting the site, what would you want to see? and what would look different than the average website. So for example, you could have a button say, discover what we do, 
um, instead of learn more. Or instead of buy now, you could have like, I want this. And that can really help your uh, CTAs, calls to action. Yeah, I really love that, especially the discover what we do part. I'm gonna have to write that down. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I also want to know, because it's so hard, especially when you have a lot of services, it's still like how many call to actions are too many and how do you just adequately set up that page so it flows to the right amount of call to actions, but you actually still get the amount that you need, I guess. Like, how do you condense that as much as possible? Yeah, so there's too many calls to action. If you look at the site from your user's point of view and you get confused or feel that there are too many options laying out there for you, uh, you want a call to action at the end of most, if not all sections on your homepage um, that are leading to other pages throughout your site where you want the user to go. Um, and you also wanna be sure to add calls to actions um, at least at the end of each other page. Because when they get to the bottom of the page, if you don't have a call to action, it can leave the user like questioning what they should do next. And you wanna make it really clear what they, what you want them to do next. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that it's really, if you leave them too many places, and this is especially like on portfolio pages where you should only have a few, like your best portfolio pieces. It's just good to have like giving people not enough options, but the best options that you have. Absolutely. Um, next, we're going to move on to topic three, which is all about responsiveness. So I also think that responsiveness is a really big important topic because you want your website to actually work and people to be able to do what they need to do. So what are some tools you can recommend to check the responsiveness of a website? So for me, like as a freelance designer, I personally use Browser Stack, um, though it is paid. Uh, but Browser Stack does give me like access to the latest devices and I can specify the platform, browser and device. And it has like all of the newest devices that are out along with old ones and old browsers and new browsers. That's really, really helpful, but it is paid. But there are free alternatives. Um, they just may not always have the most um, like recent devices such as like the iPhone 11 or the Samsung Galaxy S20. They might not have those, but they can still be really helpful. So some of the free alternatives are, uh, there's responsive designer, sorry, responsivedesignchecker.com. And then there's also mattkearsley.com slash responsive. And I'll just spell that out. It's M-A-T-T-K-E-R-S-L-E-Y.com slash responsive. Awesome. So what are some of the things that people should be looking at when it comes to figuring out whether their site is responsive or not? So when you have a website on desktop, um, the way that I was taught is you think of it as Lego pieces um, fit horizontally. So you have like, say, four different Lego pieces all fitting across each other. And then you have a tablet and you have to take one of those pieces out or two of those pieces out and put them below each other. And then if you have a phone, then you only have one piece of Lego on each like row. So you're having, so you're having to stack all of these blocks on top of each other, but you can only have one block the width. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but in easier terms, uh, it's that you're moving things from like multiple columns all into one column. 
and you want to have everything make complete sense. If you're on desktop, you have an arrow pointing to the right saying, like, look to the right and you'll see this photo. But on the phone, it's like, well, you actually have to change it to a down arrow to see the photo or an up arrow. Well, down would make more sense. Um, and you just, you really want it to be mobile optimized. So even if it works on the phone, it doesn't mean that it's actually optimized. You want it to be able to have the correct font size. You want it to load well. You want it to have um, images that are still like really clear on the screen. You want to have the correct colors, the right fonts, because some fonts will work better on desktop than the phone. So there's a lot of stuff to take into consideration, but what's most important is that you're able to read it and easily scroll through. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that mobile has changed so much or changed so much of what we do. Like when I first got into the internet around like 2011, it was still important. Like mobile was hap- was there, but like I feel like it's gotten even mm-hmm. like more people are using mobile technology to, you know, look at websites now. It's like where most people view their stuff is on their phone instead of just on a desktop. So it's really important to kind of have both and make sure that every type of device is cared for. Yeah, big time. So um, now moving into the fourth topic, which is really just as important. It's about removing the noise and clutter, because I know that some people want to put everything on their website, and I know I have to kind of parse myself down too. Um, And it can really stop people from being able to get the best information. So Um, Kind of what is your definition of noise and clutter and how can freelancers distinguish between what is good to add and what is just more noise? Yeah, so noise and clutter, they distract the user from doing what you want them to do. So this can include like images that don't fit with your aesthetic, uh, too much movement, such as content sliding in a lot as you scroll down um, or load the page. Uh, Having more than three fonts on the site can be seen as clutter. You want to stick to three fonts or less. Two is even better. Um, using colors that clash isn't good and too much written content and is not good as well and not enough of a balance between that written content and the images. You want to have a real balance so you can scan through the website as easily as possible and not be distracted by that noise and clutter. Yeah, so... I guess, what are some tips for highlighting that important information? Should you highlight important information or should you just like tone it down, I guess, is the thing. Yeah, uh, so you can highlight the most important information on your site by making it in a bigger bolded font, um, changing up the color, putting it into a box, or having it put into bullet points, um, if that makes sense for the content. So highlighting important information you just you want to find a way to yeah, make it stand out, but it doesn't mean you have to add a shadow or make it like spin when it first appears. You <laughs> want it to be obvious, but not too not in your face. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I am already getting some ideas on how to fix my website and update it. <laughs> but yeah. Oh god. Uh, yeah. So white space is kind of like the opposite of that noise and clutter and I think it's really important to talk about that um so um what are some of your tips for adding white space to your website yeah so oftentimes when you have like a new section on a website the background color will change 
just so to have an idea of what a different section is. Uh, you, you want there to be a decent amount of space around the written content so it's not touching the edges of that background color. So you need to let things breathe. Um, like keep different sections of content apart so it's obvious the user is in a new section, um, but not so apart that it, but not so far apart that it feels like there's something missing. Um, you also don't want to have written content span the whole width of the screen on a desktop. You want to have space on the side so it's easier to scan. So it's it's really about a balance. Yeah, so I like that you also talked about colorful backgrounds because I think that when people think of white space, they think it has to be white. But how do you, I guess, have like, what, how do you do colorful backgrounds without it feeling cluttered, I guess? So it's all about having that space between where like the background starts and ends and where that written content is. So you want to have the background start and then have that white space, even if it's like a navy blue background, you want white space, then you have your written content, then more white space, and then that's where your background ends. Yeah. So do you think people could do like a full color background or would it be better to like do it in sections? It's best to do it in sections, but there's some cases where it makes sense to just have your entire website a darker color, um, but that is having like white writing, which you would have on top of a dark color, is a bit more difficult to read than black writing, so you do have to keep that in mind, but having a dark website overall, if it makes sense for your ideal client, then, then that's what it's okay to do that. Yeah. So is there such thing as too much white space and how do you make sure your website feels at least somewhat full, especially when you're first getting started and you kind of don't have a lot to say, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. If you have like too little white space, things look cramped and aren't scannable. And with too much white space, it can look like something was supposed to load in that space where there's really nothing there. Um, like it's, like I said before, it's a fine balance you really wanna focus on how easy it is for you to scan your site and things should flow well and not be completely separated or pushed together. So you want the site to feel full without being too full, stick to what's needed, highlight important parts and ensure your content can breathe. And if you're yeah, just starting out with not that much content, then add more images. You can add, you can have a bit of writing with a large image, that works that can fill up your space and have it look good and not like you're missing something. I definitely love that tip about images. So do you have any like tips for making sure those are consolidated enough? Like if you are including images, what do people need to do to make sure their website still stays normal or or loads correctly? So you wanna make sure that you're um, compressing the images and there's free tools you can use like if you have WordPress for example there's a plugin called smush and that will compress the file size of your image and I don't know about other platforms um, but you could use a website like tiny PNG or tiny JPG and that will compress it for you on there and then you can put it on your website. So you want to make sure that yeah, your file size is as small as you can get it while still looking clear enough on the screen. Awesome. So the last topic we're going to talk about today um, 
really specific topic it's about typography um I think it's really often misunderstood because people don't think about it enough there's like oh I'm gonna put together a like just whatever is the default and like the template I'm using so what are some benefits of using the right fonts for website because I feel like often we don't really hear about typography when it's like you should definitely avoid comic sans and that's about it the fonts you choose for your website can have a large impact on the feel of it having the wrong font can be very distracting and confusing for a user so using the right font it helps create a cohesive brand that makes sense and tells the story you want to tell so it actually fits in with the whole feel of the website that you want. It's not going to make sense if you have, if you're a super modern brand, but you have a serif font, which to explain a serif font, it's like Times New Roman, where it has those extra curls on the ends of the letters. I always ask my clients the type of feel they want for the site, and this is based on what their ideal client would be looking for. So if they want it to be super modern, I'd stick to sans serif, like as I said before. If they want it feminine, I would use fonts with more flair um, and or a script font. Uh, there are sites where you can discover good font combinations if you're struggling to put them together. And an example of that site that you can find is fontpair.co. Awesome. So I guess the next thing is about script fonts and like div diving deep into that because I know that some people like script fonts and I am a lover of script fonts. I download so many from Creative Market, it's almost crazy. Um, but how do yep. you, <laughs> yeah, so how do you do that without, um, you know, overloading on script fonts or how do you do that well without like having people have trouble reading what you're saying? Yeah, so I love script fonts on websites, uh, but they need to be done right. It has to make sense for your ideal client. And like you said, it needs to be legible. You have to be able to actually read it. So some people use a script font because it's beautiful, but then I need to focus on what it's saying. And that just takes you out of it. That takes you away from the actual design. So always use a font that you can read immediately and that won't confuse people. And you also wanna make sure that the font is loaded correctly on your website because with like Google fonts, they'll show up like guaranteed on every browser, but a script font, which is like the custom font that you're uploading, you wanna make sure it's appearing on the major browsers, uh, which would be like Chrome, uh, Firefox, Safari, Microsoft Edge. You wanna make sure that it's working on all of those. Yeah. So actually considering that like what are your best tips for making sure do you just like have a bunch of them on your computer or like how does that work so for me that's where i use browser stack because that lets me view the different um browsers oh, okay. yeah and so i'm not sure if there's a free uh tool that will do that but you could just download yeah like chrome safari and firefox which would be to me um, I'm pretty sure it's a fact, <laughs> uh, but like the top browsers. Yeah, so you might just have to download them. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the last thing I really want to talk about is just like tips for like general tips for redesigning a website, because I know I have a lot of things to go through and I'm like already thinking about how I can update mine, but how what tips would you give for someone who's really wanting to dive deeper into these topics and really design a website that works for them instead of just having a website? Yeah, so 
like less is more. Uh, you want to keep things as simple as possible. And that's your best bet for making your website work well. Like once you start bringing in the like extra things, you're opening up the possibility for your user to get lost, confused, or distracted. So when you're designing the site yourself, um, just as, as I keep saying, because I do believe it's so important, go through the site as if you're, as if you are your ideal client. And that will help you figure out what you need to have on the site. And to be able to add different components that I've talked about and have them look nice, you can uh, find design inspiration through like Pinterest, uh, even in your everyday life. If you're, okay, we can't go outside right now, um, but if you're in the house looking at a magazine you already have, you might see the way certain things are designed and you can use that as inspiration for your website. Yeah, and I know that you design websites, um, but how would someone go about finding their own website designer? I know you have a specific audience that you typically go for um, as a client, but like how would someone go about help finding someone to work with them on this? So you can just do a simple Google search for like web designers in your area, um, or you can even type like best web designer and see what pops up. Um, but really through, if you go into like freelancing groups, like I love the group uh, Freelancing Females and there's so many freelancers on there that are web designers and are really good at what they do. So you just, you want to make sure that whoever you find, you want to look through the website that they have themselves that it looks good um, and works well. And you also want to look through their portfolio to make sure you actually like what they're creating or else it's like you're just wasting your money yeah so to end this conversation I had such a great time chatting with you um how, where can my audience find you online yeah so you can find me at worthitdesigns.com uh and if you're interested in the strategy behind determining your ideal client so you know who you're targeting on your site plus how to analyze the strengths and weaknesses of your site and gain traffic, uh, you can actually check out my free video series at worthitdesigns.com slash formula. And like F-O-R-M-U-L-A, formula, like a science experiment. <laughs> but it's for attracting clients. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So there you have it. Another episode of The Ambitious Freelancer is in the books. And I was so excited to chat with Michelle about creating a website and building a website that works and flows well and is great for your audience. I know that we talked about like just a really simple way to create a website a few months ago, but it was really fun to talk with Michelle about like really more specific tips and helpful tips for you as you're building your freelance website. So I am so grateful for you guys to keep keep listening to the episodes and I hope that you guys are getting a lot out of this and that you're staying sane and safe through all of this craziness that's happening in the world right now and I will talk to you guys again next week for another episode. Bye!